¿Qué pasa, USA? ¿Qué pasa, USA? ¿Qué pasa, Carmen? ¿Qué pasa, Frida? We're going to be talking about ¿Qué pasa, USA? today. And ¿Qué pasa, USA? is America's very first bilingual situational comedy. Think All in the Family, think Cheers, think Three's Company, that style of comedy. But imagine it like Miami Cuban flavored. So that's what we're dealing with. The entire show is available for free. It was produced by PBS from the years of 1977 to 1980. And you can watch it on YouTube. All of it is mostly in Spanish. I don't believe I've seen much in the way of subtitles. I think they did a great job at unapologetically being bilingual, but still trying to bring in people who either spoke one or the other language. I grew up watching Que Pasa USA. And so I was watching it in 1995. And I realized that this show is like kind of old and so whatever situational issues it was tackling it was issues that were relevant to that period of time which I think is really funny because watching this stuff now it's still really relevant that's what I was gonna say like somehow yeah. to to this day um, not many things change a lot of personalities are relatable a lot of the motivations of the characters are the backgrounds the trauma the lifestyle in Miami and so it's just a humorous but also sometimes Sesame Street style educational in terms of social issues, but it, it does have its flaws as it will, especially as an older show. And so with us today is our, shall I say, number one fan? I, I think our other fans are going to get offended, but yeah. I think that there's many number one places, but Jason is a number one fan of Take It Easy and also our friend, <laughs> because of <laughs> course, when we started this show, our friends were the biggest support we could have. Hi, Jason. Hey, Frida. Hey, Carmen. Hey, Jason. So good to hey, have what's you. What's up, guys? I'm glad to be yeah. here. Yeah. On a Sunday morning, there's yeah. nothing better. Nothing, so nothing better, better than a Sunday do. morning recording. <laughs> That's why we're easy like Sunday morning. So we asked Jason to watch this episode of Que Pasa USA called Computer Friend. And Jason, I want to ask you first to give us the premise of the show as you understand it. For the audience, Jason does not speak Spanish, but he has watched Computer Friend. From what I understood, one of the main characters, Carmen, is... Uh... It looks like the early stages of, of online dating. She's basically giving her profile and, uh, you know, getting set up with a computer friend. I used air quotes. And so it turns out that I guess the, uh, the computer friend that she gets matched up with is actually a black guy, which I guess in and of, of itself was kind of funny. There seems to be issues with her grandparents as far as finding out that the guy is a black guy. It's so weird because before they meet him, they're like really excited and they're like, oh, well, is he Cuban? And she's like, no, he's not Cuban. So they say, well, you know, well, is he from a good family? And she's like, yeah, I mean, all I know is that we match up and we have a lot of things in common. And it turns out that they do have a lot of things in common. Like the guy walks in the house and he looks at it's like, We, your house looks just like my house. There's a lot going on there. The abuelas are are, are very uh, very caught off guard by by his very 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 blackness. I, I mm -hmm. no other way to say it. 
Like, I think first they uh, mentioned that she thought he was the handyman, and then she realized yeah. that he wasn't, and she's, like, freaking out, and I think he's, like, picking up all their stuff, and he's looking around and seeing a lot of their stuff, and she thinks that, like, he's he's being rude and slash he might be trying to steal our stuff, and it's so many cliches, so many, like, random, really? <laughs> but also, like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that probably could happen. So... Um, just getting your first impressions as a, a first-time viewer of Que Pasa USA. And also a first-time viewer of an episode that that probably claims to deal with a social issue and has a start-middle conflict and so-called resolution around whatever this social issue is. And we're going to get to talking about yeah. whether that's a, you know, whether that's a resolution or not. This show features a Cuban family, and I'm not note that I'm not saying Cuban American, but I'm specifically saying a Cuban family living in Miami, specifically in Little Havana. And the people living in this household are the grandparents, los abuelos, the parents, and two children. Effectively, there are male and female counterparts for each generation. There's a boy and a girl child, obviously a mother and a father, and an abuelo and an abuela. They are all living in this house. One day, Carmen, which is the daughter, and I'm actually going to ask us to please refer to her as Carmencita, because if not, I'm going to drive myself crazy listening to this episode later. Because um, obviously my name is <laughs> yeah. Carmen. <laughs> so Carmencita is the daughter. The boy's name is Joe, which I think is a funny name for a boy that is supposed to be, you know, Cuban. And Pepe, which is the father, Juana is the mother, and then the grandparents are Antonio y Adela. We have many generations living under one household. We have the grandparents. The episode opens up with Carmencita sitting down with her two friends named Sharon, who is the American counterpart to Carmencita, and Violeta, which is what I argue the most Cuban counterpart to Carmencita. And Carmencita is sort of posed in this particular scene as being the middle of those two extremes. And while they're filling out this application, the writing of the show, they specifically make a note that this computer friend is supposed to be just like you. So that's why they're gathering information like what your plan is five years from now and what your household income is like and, you know, what things you value, right? And so Carmencita's writing all of this information down, expecting that the computer will match her up with someone just like her. Esta computadora me va a introducir a una persona igualita que yo. Introducir. Si te introduce otra analfabeta como tú, te vas a entender. Vas a tenerte que entender por señas, que... Obviously, as the episode progresses, we find out that this person who is just like her is a lovely young man named Charles Powell who comes through the door and immediately gets treated like shit for being black. And so that is the premise that we're talking about. I want to say one note about this whole plot. I could see this exact story happening tomorrow. 100%. Unfortunately. Yeah. This is not something that we saw and we were like, oh, wow, but that was the 70s. No, no. That is today. It's setting up people as just the same and as having only like one minor difference between each other. I found it interesting that they would do that, that they would say that race is just a color. 
that race is just the color of your skin. I think that the first reaction I had to the whole premise of computer friend is to say, actually, on paper, a lot of the time, differences in race can be seen in terms of differences in socioeconomic status, in terms of difference in credit score, in terms of difference in other things. I'm, I think I'm seeing it with like a, a critical eye on like how simply this premise was brought in as a way to, of talking about race. And I know that's possibly a complicated way of starting this conversation, but I'm wondering like, if you had any thoughts about the way that the premise approaches this topic before we get into more specifics. That's a good question. I mean, from what I understood about the episode, it felt like, like you say, it's it's leading you towards this this happy ending where everyone realizes that, oh, well, other than your skin color, you know, they're just like me. And it's like, I kind of thought to myself, like, so, but what if they weren't like you? What if they were a little different and they were still good mm -hmm. people? What if that was the case? Why is that not a an option for this to be a resolution? Why is there, why is this the only solution? Like, oh, well, you know, we have the same furniture and we have the same stuff. So we should be friends. And it's like, so what if you didn't have all those things? You wouldn't be friends then? I wouldn't be able to date your daughter if, if we didn't have like similar values or, I mean, I get to an extent that all things, like people wanna have the same values. They tend to gravitate towards people who are like them or they can, I guess they can find some common ground where it, there's like, okay, well, that's, you're like me in this way. So that makes you okay. So what if he was the complete opposite? You know, like, how would you solve that then? This is a very simple way of looking at a very complicated issue. And I think at the time, I hate saying that, but I think at the time, like, this was pushing the envelope. Even just this way of looking at it was pushing the envelope. The fact that PBS, public broadcast station, like, tax dollars made this is already like a big deal, especially in the climate in which it came out in, which is Miami in the 70s and 80s. So, you know, I, I didn't want it to be like a, you know, just one sided depiction. I also noticed like there's the mom has like the same misgivings. And it's like, oh, well, I don't want my son to be like, I have a plan for my son where he marries a black woman and he, and it's like the, the whole solve didn't seem to solve anything in that, like, in that train of thought you know it's like oh yeah okay well we're we're all the same except for our skin color what if we're not all the same i think that what it shows is the level at which this show is approaching this topic it's approaching it at a level of we're going to assume that the reason why black americans and cubans are not getting along is because they don't realize how much they have in common or because they don't realize how much they could have in common but that just shows you how low a level we're starting at, as if ignorance were the problem, as if if only you all knew this thing about each other and sat down in a living room together, that you would be able to, at the end, shake hands, as if not liking each other is the problem and not like racism overall. So at some point, Charles' mom comes in and Charles' mom has all of these ideas around blackness and protecting blackness. And it seems to be shown in parallel to the Cubans' plans for keeping things internal. But 
the elephant in the room is that the Cubans are like are white. There, there's like a neighborhood watch alerting the grandmother at some point that there's a black woman in the neighborhood, and they're trying to keep black people out. <laughs> Hello? Oh, Marta, ¿qué tal? Es la chismosa del barrio. ¿Cómo? ¿Que tú has visto entrar a una mujer de color en esta casa? Marta, hija. Tú debes ir a examinarte la vista, ¿eh? No, hija, no. No era una negra, no. Era una monjita de la caridad. And I don't know how good a job it does of addressing the fact that, like, the same opinion that these two communities have, they have it for different reasons. It doesn't show how black people are actually trying to keep violence out. <laughs> and... And then these Cuban white people are trying to keep black people out still. I thought of like the mother and I thought about like personal experiences in my life, like with just friends and family and friends who I know their parents are like weary of them dating outside of the quote unquote black race just because for whatever reason, a lot of times if you dig deeper, it's not necessarily because the person is another race, but it's because they're worried how that, that person's family is going to treat them. It's like... Well, you just be careful because you don't know what might happen. Like, and I don't think the movie Get Out helped a lot. Um, but, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, <laughs> it, it, uh, there's, there's a lot of apprehension. I can speak from my experience. Like, it's, there's always going to be a lot of apprehension in, in black communities when, especially for a parent, like when their child is dating outside their race, especially in a, if they're dating outside their race and they feel like that particular community does not exactly look at you in the most positive light, like you're saying, like, so they have like, there's a neighborhood watch, they're looking, trying to keep black people out. And now her son is over there in these people's house coming to see their daughter. Like that's, that's going to cause apprehension. That's going to cause you to be quite alarmed. Like I'm pretty sure this lady did not know that her son was even on this like computer friend dating matchup thing and now when she finds out that it's it's a cuban family she made it a point to leave her job or because i'm sure she's tired she worked at a dress factory so she's uh -huh. coming home and going to a completely different neighborhood to have a, a whole sit down with a family that she doesn't know just off the strength that she knows what could happen with her son like there's always that level of fear i guess from black dating anything else i can also understand that he doesn't know anything better from what i watch it looks like there there's this ingrained thought process of black people are criminals they steal things they're not good workers they don't know as much so he's already angry at the black bricklayer that dropped the brick on his foot so now he comes home and now his, his daughter is in the living room with the black guy it, it's really complex it's really hard to like nail it down as to what exactly it is is the the solution carmesita's brother joe got into it with the guy that she's matched up with the episode starts off with him coming in with a black eye and he's mm -hmm. i guess he said something to the guy about his mother the guy said something to him about being a, a cuban cream puff did you also give him a black eye i couldn't tell 
He already had two of them. <laughs> two black eyes? Yeah, but that's normal for black people. Black people. The black dude started it. He called me a name. He called me a... Cuban cream puff. Which I don't even know. I... I think it's funny that they chose to highlight the insult that the Cuban got, but we don't really know what Joe ever said back to him. We didn't know what Joe said back, right. and I and I have a feeling that it's way that worse it's than like being called a medic because it's because they're laughing. It's like, oh, you got called a cream puff. Like, what did the other guy get called? Right. I understand the threats to masculinity and everything, but being called a merenguito is really not a bad thing. Like, what is the problem here? I'm not throwing hands for being called a merenguito. Merenguitos are delicious. My mom makes them. <laughs> There's that conflict. And then he clearly doesn't want to apologize for it. I think he ends up hitting a teacher. So she comes to his house and like expects them to like make up in a, in a week. She gives them a week to like hash out their differences and shake hands and be friends. That's awfully ambitious for anyone who just got into a fight for you to just find common ground with that person in, in a week. Towards the end of the episode, they end up in the same house again and they realize that this is the guy that's trying to date my sister and is also the guy that that I got into a fight with. I think he says, I think Cubans need to stick with Cubans and blacks need to just stick with blacks or something to that, that level of it. And I think his friend comes over, this is Joe's friend, comes over and mm -hmm. the first thing I saw was like, you sure you want to just stick with Cubans and blacks versus black? Because this guy is awfully dark. So Charles says, like, this guy is blacker than me. And yeah, like, I relate with that so many times. Not to throw any shade at anyone in particular, but I've come across plenty of Dominicans who've said things like, I'm not black, I'm Dominican. And Joe says the same thing about his friend. He says, he's not black, he's, he's, uh, he's Cuban. Honestly, let's get into that because that Hell is... Yeah. A huge, huge issue. But I want to take one step back. Okay, so from the very beginning, when Carmen Sita's parents are helping her fill out the information, when she asks the dad, are you a blue-collar worker or a white-collar worker? He tries to say he's a white-collar worker when he's a blue-collar worker. She asks, what's her income level? He tries to say hi when they're low to medium. They're in this country, and they're passing as, as white, to a certain degree, but they're also Hispanic and they're trying not to be what they are. I would say this idea of also thinking that you're like a white American when you come into this country is another like detrimental and colonial idea that Latino people can have. I think it's really crazy how there's this idea of what being th that you're if you're an immigrant, you come to this country and you're like lost, right? You don't know anything about the systems and just like living in in this economy and like in this environment is so different already. And especially not knowing the language, all of that stuff, like everything is different. But like for some reason, this is something that is so quickly. I, I think it's actually brought over because I actually this already does happen in Cuba, but I think it's crazy how that continues to express itself, even when you are able to see so clearly in your everyday life how you are not like this idea of white and how it exists in this country. You do yeah. feel the privilege, but you also feel a lot of the consequences. There's a sociological term called racial distancing that I remember learning in college. <laughs> and it's a term that describes a practice, actually practiced by many Black immigrants 
And it's a defensive practice. If you're, let's say, Black Jamaican, Black Haitian, and Black Jamaicans and Black Haitians actually identify as Black, but imagine you could also be Black Dominican, Black Cuban, et cetera, yeah. et cetera, right? And you come to this country, to the United States, and it benefits you to distance yourself from African Americans, from Black Americans. And it only benefits you because in calling yourself different from the Black Americans in this country, you manage to protect yourself against certain prejudices. You manage to protect yourself against like a lack of social mobility. But you are still Black. You absolutely still yeah. are. But there is a benefit to trying to distance yourself. And I can see this happening from a different degree for Cubans who might be of, of various different racial identities, distancing themselves and even distancing their fellow Black Cubans and therefore erasing Black identity and only for the benefit of white Cubans. I see all these things coming together in this one moment in the story where, Jason, you said, where a Black Cuban walks in through the door and he's all super friends, friends with Joe. And you're just like, hold on, what is the hypocrisy here? Did Joe just say this man's not Black? <laughs> hey, wait a minute. How come you get along so well with him? He's blacker than I am. Angelito. Angelito's not black, man. He's Cuban. <laughs> and Joe, the white Cuban, gets to decide that this black Cuban isn't black. No, he's one of the good guys, right? He's a Cuban. And I've seen this happen in my own family. A hundred percent. And it's just like, no, guys, this... This person's black, too. And then in Cuba, they, they still get the same treatment as a black person as well. Like, we don't get to ignore this. So in a way, bringing that character in highlights that hypocrisy and points that out. And I would say that I did enjoy seeing that. But what I didn't enjoy seeing was putting the burden on this character to be a bridge, as if this character being a fusion of blackness and Cubanness could have the black American and the Cuban white man holding hands at the end. Is that really his role? Like his role is, yeah. is like to bring people together. If anything, he should understand how torn someone might be in that identity. I agree with you in that it is often put on like black people in general, like to bridge the gap in any kind of uh, prejudice or racist issue where it's like well we need to solve this so hey black guy how do you solve this like i've experienced this in life in general like my previous job years ago like i think this was right after freddie gray died and you know he was murdered by the police and there were quote-unquote riots in baltimore and one of my very white co-workers asked me so jason why are they doing this and it's like it's so hard like having to realize like I'm at work, so I can't answer this the way I want to, I want to answer this. So I'm just mm. thinking to myself, like, why would you even think to come to me about this? I don't live in Baltimore. I don't know why they're doing this. What, what was your solution? The one black guy you could find, you just grab him and pull him over. He'll give us the answers to what's going on in Baltimore with black people. Or how do you solve this mm -hmm. issue where where white people don't like black people. What's the solution? How do you solve these issues with cops and why they keep stopping you? Well, maybe if if we get a black guy in here, he'll be able to explain it. But it's like, I feel like deep down, most people know the answer. They know what's at the root of a lot of these things. They just don't want to accept it because then it puts some of the burden on them to fix it. 
So they'd rather say, well, there is no solution. There doesn't seem to be a solution. So we just need to just act like everything's okay. You know, everyone just try to assimilate, try to be like each other and, and everything will be okay. And you do tend mm-hmm. to erase people's identity in, in the process because, and it never seems to be the white identity that seems to be being erased. It's always the oppressed group that gets the erasure. Of course. Because history is written by the victors. Fast forward, I don't know, 50 years, and we're still asking the people who are most marginalized to fix the problem caused by these structures. And this is how this episode resolves, but it doesn't resolve without some jabs. I think that they let, they especially let Charles and the mother make some pretty fun jabs at like the whole situation. Not only did Charles say you're blacker than me, but like after being blatantly fearful and and racist, Pepe, who is the father, sits down with the mother of Charles. And so they're sitting down and Pepe's out here starting off by saying like the equivalent of I voted for Obama, you know, like the equivalent <laughs> of like, uh, like, I have all the black friends. I have a black friend. I'm not racist. I just don't want my daughter dating your son because he's black. But I'm not racist. I'm not racist. Did you know that the patron saint of Cuba is black? Like all of these things that apparently mean that you cannot be racist. And then she's just like, oh, really? The only Cuban I know is Ricky Ricardo and he's white. Before you say anything, I don't want you to think that we are, uh, uh, you know what I mean. In Cuba, we had many great and famous black people. Uh, Mr. Pena, the only famous Cuban I've ever known was Ricky Ricardo, and he was white. <laughs> well, Mrs. Powell, I, I think you, you got the wrong idea about us. In Cuba, I had many friends, and they were black. <laughs> uh, I know you always believe that uh, everybody should be friends. Uh, Mr. Pena, you're such an open-minded man. <laughs> I sure am. And I was thinking, okay, this is a PBS show. Is it criticizing the media? Is it criticizing representation? Can it possibly criticize itself? Because this whole family is pretty white. This whole Cuban family. Did it just sneak in a burn at itself and at media representation of not just Cubans, but of Latinos overall? Because if you look at the media... It's true. It's so whitewashed. I definitely caught both of those, those little jabs. Those were probably my favorite interactions. I did find it funny, specifically, with, like, as soon as the dad, like, went on the defense, I was like, oh, so it's okay to do racist things, but don't ever actually be called a racist. Don't imply that I'm being racist. And I often, like, lament to myself, like, it's really more important to you not to be called a racist than to you stop doing or saying racist things. I've heard some of the most racist things in my life come out of some of the most vile people, but the second you call them racist, it's like, how dare you? That That is offensive. <laughs> that is the most horrible thing you can call me. I would never be one of those people, but it's like, but you are one of those people. I mean, it turns out that racism is insidious and it creeps into all sorts of people. Even if you're trying, so-called trying not to be racist, you're still existing in systems that are benefiting a certain race over another. In our society, if we could just be more accepting of the fact that we are all living in a racist society, then we can start to fix the problem mm-hmm. than just being like, oh my God, did you just... 
I mean, most people take everything really personally. There's a difference between you thinking that you have racist behaviors and you have said racist things versus you accepting that you are a racist person. It's kind of one of those things where, like, if you're living in a glass house, don't throw stones, right? If you can't be criticized, I don't know why you're so staunchly holding on to the idea that you are or are not racist. We just finished doing an episode on Miami. We just finished, of course, talking about, like, this is a snapshot of a moment in Miami. Slash a current life thing that still happens. <laughs> Miami is like was a highly segregated city. It's a city of the South. It was a city of Jim Crow. And it, it's also a gateway to Latin America. But like the latest thing in Miami is the demonizing of just teaching people that our history is real. And that like we have to come together and think of something better than a handshake you need to sit down and be like okay like what just happened here why did we even fight and that wasn't even resolved that no none Um, of that happened it was just like womp womp i'm sorry you're sorry we're all the same and now we're gonna shake hands none of this happened moving on with our lives that was like uh, anticlimactic for me i want to fast forward to like media today and ask is there anything good out there in the media offering something better like 50 years later the fact that this conversation is happening now and more of these types of conversations happen at a more public sphere carmen getting meta (laughs) in the 80s you had que pasa usa and that was like that's that was the dialogue it was like this is what it was and now we get to talk about it i live for these conversations because i learn a lot people learn a lot some you know you get something from everyone the way i look at this show is like I can see why it got canceled, not because it was bad, but because it was so good. Like, I feel like even with all the flaws that we just spoke about, like all the things that they, you know, they didn't hit. We're talking about, uh, when was this? Like the 70s. So it's about 40 years ago. Like the first thing I, I said to myself is, wow, this is pretty good for a show 40 years ago addressing like mm-hmm. some real topics. And yeah. That's true. I can also understand why All in the Family would last a lot longer than this because All in the Family, the main character is a racist white guy. And yeah. it's like, oh, well, he'll learn his lesson. He'll he'll get better. From what I understand from back then, there was not a lot of appetite mm-hmm. for um, anything Latino, much less a Latino show that actually addresses real issues and real problems that are happening. And they speak Spanish. Like, there's, I feel like that. Yeah, it's a very niche market. There's still a problem with speaking another language other than English in the United States. To be unapologetic enough to say, we're going to say some things in another language and you're going to have to be fine with it. Like, we're sometimes not even going to accommodate English. Even today, I wouldn't see that being an easy sell without subtitles at the bottom to explain what's Mm -hmm. going on. Absolutely, it isn't. Latino representation has gotten a lot better, obviously. There's a lot more stuff now. But even now, like we're just having this whole conversation about how the entire narrative and dialogue in the Latinx space in general is about generally about immigration. And then outside of that, anything is kind of like a different, you know, a niche sort of thing. Yeah, you're right. It, there's a lot here that is even now daring. I would absolutely watch the show. It's, it's entertaining. It's good storytelling mm-hmm. overall. It's funny. And it, and it does what it can with like the haha, you have to be lighthearted sitcom right. 
format. Whether it's PBS or not, there's someone at the top that's telling you what you can and cannot do and what's not acceptable or what we can't afford to, to put this out there because yeah. maybe maybe some high executive was like, guys, where's the handshake at the end? You guys need to shake hands. You haven't resolved this episode. How do, how do we? All right. Somebody give me an answer real quick. Oh, they should shake hands after they come across a, a black Cuban. I'm pretty sure these meetings do happen. Like I, nothing about that would shock me. Not to change topics here, but I, speaking of the same like censorship and stuff and what you can get away with, I thought it was fun that they named it Computer Friend because most of the other episodes' titles are very, very obvious. Like the citizenship episode is literally called like Citizenship Something or Another. And the, the one about Carmencita's Quinces is called Los Quinces. You know, so every other episode is by and large named very specifically to what the thing is but this is called computer friend which is obviously not about the computer friend it's just the medium to try to get the character into the scene they didn't mention anything about blackness or what what themes they were going to explore they were trying to set it up so that you weren't aware of what was going to happen or like how the story would introduce a black family and midway through they open a door and you're just like, okay, that's what we're going to talk about today. May I help you? Yes. Are you Carmen Pena? Yes, I am. Glad to meet you. I'm Charles Powell. Well, come in. Oh, come in. Abuela, it's okay. Este es el amigo que me mandó la computadora. Ay, Dios mío. Ahora tenía un cortocircuito. This is incredible. My family has the exact same furniture. This is a really good time for me to come in with some criticism of the way that they lit and set this episode. It is so hard to see black people in this set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It drives I, I noticed me into, poorly lit. Okay, poorly they lit. have this man walk in through the door, and he's got, like, a mid-sized fro, and he's wearing this really cute button-down that, I mean, it's the 70s, so it's got, like, a fun print, but, like, the shirt is burgundy-colored, and so it's, like, a lot of brown already starting, and then you open the door, which is, by the way, brown, and then you open the door, and you see more brown. And then this man walks in through the door. And then he closes the door behind him. And then he doesn't take any steps forward or backward. He stays right in front of the fucking brown door. <laughs> Why did no one tell this actor to move two steps so that he's contrasted against the white because wall? Because color doesn't but matter. No, of course not. And then, and then, like he he does take two or three steps, but then he's in front of a dark olive green curtain, which. Is more brown. <laughs> I just cannot. And then his mom walks in through the door and then she goes to sit down at the dinner table to talk to Bebe and have this whole conversation about how she needs to protect her son's blackness. And she's against like more. Br- it's just you can never. You have all of these like stars that are supposed to be representing blackness, but you can't physically see them. And then it doesn't help that it's like taped from the 70s. So it's already bad quality. But it was just like a disaster first of all from that perspective and then the other thing that I did want to mention is in the parts when the abuelos are being super racist and acting as though this 
kid who's a kid. He's Carmencita's age. Like 17 years old. He's 17 years old. He's sitting in the kitchen table talking to Carmencita and they're walking around picking up all of the quote-unquote valuable things because they're implying that they think he's going to steal. One of those things that they choose to zoom in on or like go from wide shot to medium shot is the abuela taking away a gallo, which is a rooster. (laughs) Like a giant rooster figurine. And this has nothing to do with race, but it's just like nothing is more Cuban than having a rooster in your apartment. No, that's not true. Having an elephant with its butt facing the door is more Cuban. But I thought that it was funny that they chose to highlight that. And I thought it was. I feel like you need to elaborate on the the elephant with the butt facing the door. What's that about? I really can't. I want to so bad, but it's just for luck. That's all I know. Pointing the wrong way. I know about the guy. I know about the gallo. Yeah. Like, definitely having, like, roosters are a big deal. But, like... It's just, like, who would want to steal a fucking rooster figurine? Like, let's just, like... It's funny, like, what what is valuable? What is valuable yes. is, is the rooster figurine. Exactly. That, that is that is comical. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. They managed to light the rooster well, though. Yeah. So. The, yeah the, rooster, the rooster was shining. It was, it was like, bling! Points for that, He's popping off the uh, screen. Jason, I wanted to get your thoughts on the representation of the white American perspective in this episode. So we have two perspectives. One is this sort of ditzy character, Sharon, that is only seen at the beginning of the episode when Carmencita is sitting down with the two friends. That's one perspective. And then the second perspective is the counselor who walks in with a black eye and she specifically says, I don't care who started it or what. I just want you to have made up in one week. Do you think that that was a conscious choice in representing the white American perspective of all of this? The counselor, to me, represents a lot of uh, white Americans do in general, which is try to slap a Band-Aid on whatever issue and, and have that be the solution, and that's it. There doesn't need to be any further investigation, no further like deep dive mm. into like why things happened or what what caused this or how do we stop this from happening again. Like it's her job, right? To counsel. There was no right, mediation. right. There was absolutely no counseling, no no mediation yeah. whatsoever. It's just like you need to fix this right now, and if you don't, there's going to be a consequence. And also, like right. you know, you need to just figure this out. We shouldn't be having these problems. This is stupid. Your problems are stupid. Right. It absolutely stood out. Like, it's, you don't want to deal with this. You don't want to deal with this, which is usually the solution that happens all over this country in general. Like, no one wants to deal with it. No one wants to talk about what's at the root of the problem. They they just want to solve the initial quote-unquote problem that's right in front of their face, and that's it. Now, not a problem solved. It's like how people would say things like, oh, I thought racism was over. Obama got elected. And it's like, really? That, That was your... That's your solution. Obama got elected, so there are no more racists. Nothing racist can ever happen in this country again or happen to anyone ever again. It's weird. It's it's weird that if there was a if there was a an issue with anyone else, you sit down, you talk to them, you'd you'd figure out why why are you doing this? Why did this happen? Why did this but it seemed like this was just this like quick all right, let's just get this out of the way so these minorities can stop fighting. It was kind of condescending, wasn't it, to say like, oh you kids you kids need to get it together. I'm the adult here. As in, like, stop playing around and get it together. Right. And it's just like a kid fight, you know? Something silly. Something that if you just change the way you think about it, it would go away. And that's what everybody's problem is. Like, there's this, oh, well, 
I'll solve this little this little minor fight, but I won't address the the actual root cause because that's too hard. That's too difficult. That's got too much. I don't want to be a part of that. So I'm just going to diminish it and say it's not systemic. It's not a problem. It's just these two people. I'll just fix this problem. I don't have any other responsibility. You know, you guys talk it out, hug it out, and we're done. When you're black or when you're a person of color, you're unable to ignore the fact that race is a problem in society. But when you're white, you might be able to somewhat ignore it. Or feign ignorance. And it would be to your benefit. It's like, oh, I didn't know that was happening. So I just came came up with the Bescuanismo for this episode. Are you ready? Yes. Tapar el sol con un dedo. It means to cover the sun with a finger or with your thumb. So as in you can't do this, right? Normally this is used in much less significant contexts, you know? Like when you have a problem that you can't fix, but you still need to address it and you can't just like make it go away or shove it under the rug for later, you would say this. No puedes tapar el sol con un dedo. You can't, you can't cover the sun with one finger. Like you can't just put a little band-aid on a big problem. Exactly. The sun is still going to be there. Your finger's just your tiny little finger. And now the only thing that happened is now you can't see the sun, no, but everyone else can sun. see the sun. But everyone else is still out here in the sun. I love that one. Frida, you and I have been discussing for a long time, I think since we started this podcast, how we were going to have conversations around race, because it's very obvious that you and I are both not black. So we were like, we can't be sitting in a room together talking to each other about like Afro-Cuban or like being black in any manner. That's not how this goes, right? At least it wouldn't be a full, like it wouldn't be too full of a conversation. We'd have, dude, Jason, number one fan. Thank you that guy so Jason. much. You're welcome. That, that guy, Jason. Thank you so, so much for joining us today. It's always such a pleasure to talk with you as a friend. And now thank you for letting us share a cornerstone of Cuban media with you. And I thank you, Jason, for lending us your time and your voice and insights. You're welcome, guys. Thanks for having me. Que Pasa USA is coming to Adrian Arch Center in May. May 2022. Que Pasa USA today is a play. I think that they're amazing, but if you're going to re-update something from the 70s, you're going to have to re-update it. So I wonder what they're going to do. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and thank you to our patrons, Elena, Carolina, Lauren, Gianni, Vidal, Christine, D, Kellis, Derek, Ryan, Jose, Susan, Celia, Catherine, Lauren, Kaylee, Amaury, Kristen, Sarah, Karina, Jason, Jason. Josh, Yvette, and Jesse. We are at DickyDCPod on all social media. And if you want to send us an email, we are at DickyDCPod at gmail.com. You can see our transcripts and merch for sale on our website, DickyDCPod.com. We are still selling our NFT for the benefit of Cuban artists. We hope to see you at our lives on Instagram every other Wednesday that we don't publish an episode. And take it easy. Take it easy. Take it easy. Take it easy. Yay! Yay!